the Ortho PAC, hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho PAC, where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. Welcome listeners, you get me today and we're talking about distal radius fractures and reduction of distal radius fractures. It is a common injury, happens frequently, actually it's the most commonly fractured area of the forearm. So distal radius fracture reductions, all of our new folks are always wanting to know how do you reduce a fracture, you know I've been doing this forever but I haven't reduced that many fractures. What do I do? I've looked at the x-rays clinically. I think this will do well. Radiographically, it needs to be reduced. What next? Well, first is that you need to explain in detail to the parent, if it's a pediatric or to the patient, what you need to do, how you're going to do it, and what are the risks and benefits. This is really important. You know, you can't just say, well, we're going to set it. I'm going to have to give you a shot and push it. You really need to explain it. And you don't have to go into all the bitter details, but you, you really want them to know what's going on. I've had people say, nope, we're not doing that. I want to do it at the hospital. I want anesthesia. I've had kids say, nope, you're not touching me with a needle. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it just go over it before you really do anything. You really have a week, 10 days, more or less, to do something. So you've got some time. Unless there's neurovascular compromise, it's not something you got to do overnight. So you need to assemble your equipment. You need your local anesthetic. I usually use oh, 5 to 10 cc's, probably more like 10 cc's of lidocaine. You need finger traps, weights to help you with your finger traps, splinting materials. And most importantly, you need someone to help you. I usually have my medical assistant, but whoever's there that can help because you need an extra pair of hands when you're doing this. And I like to do it like this. On the AP x-ray, I'll measure from the mid-articular portion of the distal radius to the fracture. That gives you an idea where you need to inject the local because you can typically palpate that radiocarpal joint and the distal radius, maybe Lister's tubercle, before you do anything. And it's usually not horribly painful there, so that'll give you an idea. Then I take my pen and make some spots around the area, almost like a bullseye target, so I know where I want to put my local anesthetic where it needs to go. And when I inject the local, I use a really small bore needle. I actually use a 27. I, I don't know what other folks use. I guess a 25 would work, but a small little needle like that, you can do the skin and the underneath soft tissues, and it really doesn't hurt as much. And then after I maximize the length of my small needle, I'll switch to a larger bore. And with a larger bore needle, you can go down to the bone and you can find the fracture. Now, remember, when you're using this fracture, you're getting your bevel of the needle and the hematoma. You sometimes have to reposition it. It doesn't always find it right off the bat. If you reposition, don't forget to withdraw the needle, pull it back before you advance it and then redirect and then re-advance it. Moving it around inside, uh, it's definitely going to cause more pain. Typically, once you get in the hematoma, you'll see a, a blood flash in that in the syringe. Sometimes just in the hub of the needle, you'll see it in a little plastic part that connects to the lower lock, but you'll typically see a flash. And when you do, that tells you you're in the right spot. The mistake that I used to make before someone told me I was doing it improperly was as soon as I got that flash, I kind of gently bolus the whole solution into the fracture. You actually want to, for want of a better word, irrigate the fracture. You want to draw some out, inject some, draw some out, inject some. And if you do this multiple times, you'll get a terrific block. It's so much better than just injecting it the one time. So kind of keep that in mind. 
one important thing with uh, hematoma blocks is that they have to be done within about 72 hours of the fracture. Otherwise, the blood starts to gel and it makes it uh, very difficult to get a good block. And so once you get your local done, I let them sit there and stew for about 10 minutes and let the medicine do its magic. Then I'll come back with the finger traps, usually use some arm weights. So you put the fingers, I usually put the index and long finger. You could do the long and ring fingers, just whatever you feel comfortable with. You could do the thumb and the index finger. But remember, these are all about the equal distance from the, the pulley. So you don't want the wrist at some odd angle while you're trying to reduce it. So you want to get it there. Also, people will tend to start complaining about the traps that they're too tight on their fingers after a few minutes, but, you know, it's not going to do damage. So just push through that. So imagine the patient now has the block. They're lying on the table on their back. They're supine. Their shoulder is at the edge. Their arm is off the table. Their elbow has been at 90 degrees. Their fingers are in the traps. And you put the weights on their upper arm, kind of past the elbow bend. And that's going to help you distract that distal radius fracture. Next up is the manipulation of the fracture. Typically, what I do is I'll grasp the wrist with both hands. So my fingers kind of make a cup around the volar aspect. And with both thumbs, I push the fragment back into place. An important point here, for those of you that are doing this, it really almost always takes a pretty good push. And it's more than you would think. I mean, it, it usually takes a pretty good, you know, to get it to go back. Not always. Uh, osteoporotic fractures, not as much. And smaller peds, not as much. But a lot of times you really got to give it a push or it, it's not going to go anywhere. You most of the time will feel something. It's almost like a crepitation when it reduces. And sometimes you can even hear it kind of snap as it goes back. This is the time where it's really important to have an assistant. This fracture is really unstable. You kind of want to stay there holding that in place the best you can. So if your assistant's good and they can help you wrap it up and splint it up, that's great. If not, you still have the finger traps basically holding it in place. Assistant's helping you with your cast material, getting it on. Speaking of cast material, I like plaster. I know a lot of people using ortho glass or similar. Plaster, I think, is easier to mold and shape around the fracture and hold it more stable. I don't feel like I can do as good of a job with ortho glass, but either way, that's okay. Just make sure that whatever you use when you're doing the sugar tong splint, that dorsally, the material, the cast material goes up at least to the level of the MCP heads, a little bit distal. Now we're talking about dorsally, a little bit distal is not a bad way to go. And volarly, you would like it to be right around the metacarpal necks, maybe as far as the heads, but you, you're hoping that the patient can do some flexion exercises with their fingers. So if you go beyond that, you're really limited to the PIPs. Now, if I don't feel good about this fracture, I think that it's, it's just wanting to jump back out of position, then I might do it longer and we'll sacrifice motion for the first week of the fingers and then go back. But I, I usually like to start early motion because these do get stiff. The big problem, and I've seen this many times, is that you get your splint and you think it's perfect and the length is probably around the base of the metacarpals or even worse, at the radiocarpal joint, you're going to lose your reduction with those. If it's too short, you're just going to have to start over. Don't try to supplement it. Don't try to pull it longer. Just get you some new material and start over. Better to be too long than too short. And for some reason, when I use plaster, when I wet it, it always seems to get shorter than it was when it was dry and I measured. So I usually measure an extra inch or so. You can always roll it over if you need to. So it's always better to have it too long than too short.
Get post-reduction films once you have your splint in place. Very important. I usually just do an AP and lateral. Very important to get that. I've seen people do this, and I admit early on I did it and I got in trouble. Once you do the reduction, you really need to have that splint on before you get your post-reduction x-rays. Don't send them to x-ray before you put the splint on to see, well, if I got to push it again. Invariably, they will lose it, and then you got to push again anyway. Better to go ahead and have the splint on, and if everything looks great, you're done. If not, and you, you think you want to push it again, you're going to have to take the, the dressing down, push it again, and then put it back on. If the films look fantastic, which I'm hoping most of the time they will for you, I'll have the patient follow up in a week for a splint to a cast change and repeat the x-ray. Now, some people might cast right away. I think that's a mistake. I think that's actually not really standard of care. If somebody swells inside of a cast and they're more than likely they're going to do this, it gets too tight. You get a compartment issue in there, and, and that's a big issue. So most everyone that I know will do some sort of splint for a week and then come back and put a cast on. Total cast time is about four to six weeks, depending on the age, osteoporosis, fracture healing by x-ray, et cetera. Kids usually faster than adults. It's not uncommon, especially in older patients or adults and older patients, that you need a few visits with an occupational therapist to help restore range of motion and use of the hand. That's all I got, and I hope this was informative for you. If you have any questions, there are a lot of good resources out there. We've got some good videos on the PAOS.org website that you can look at for members that describe this radius fractures, lots of pictures. So I hope this is helpful for you. Please subscribe to our podcast. If this has been helpful, please take a moment to leave a review. Hello, listeners. I wanted to tell you about our next upcoming conference, the Ortho in the West, February the 18th through the 20th, 2022, which will be in Phoenix, Arizona. We have quite a few sports topics and trauma topics, and we hope you can join us there.